Click, listen, enjoy. Broadcasting live worldwide. Thank you for tuning in to Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. Stay tuned. You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Very pleased that we have with us tonight Professor Avi Loeb. He's a Frank Barr Jr. Professor of Science at Harvard University, Chair of Harvard's Department of Astronomy, Founding Director of Harvard's Black Hole Initiative, Director of the Institute for Theory and Computation within the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. He also chairs the Advisory Committee for the Breakthrough Starshine Initiative, serves as Science Theory Director for all initiatives of all the Breakthrough Prize Foundation, as well as Chair of the Board of Physics, Astronomy of the National Academies, author of four books. And he's here tonight because his newest book is called Extra Pressial, The First Signs of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. So, Professor Avi Loeb from Israel, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. You start in your book that you, at a young age, you were in the farm. What made you decide that you were interested in studying outer space, space, and extraterrestrial life? Well, it was actually circumstances. Uh, at a young age, when I was in the farm, I did uh, collect eggs every afternoon and drove the tractor to the hills of the village. And um, I, I, I was mostly interested in philosophy at the time, the deepest questions we have. And then I was drafted to the military and uh, had to either run in the fields with a gun or uh, do intellectual work in physics. And I chose the, the latter. And uh, that was the Talpiot program. And that brought me eventually to a position at Princeton uh, in astrophysics and eventually to a faculty position at Harvard University. And so I was uh, brought by circumstances into this uh, study of the sky. But then I realized that I'm actually, because, even though it's an arranged marriage, I'm actually married to my true love. Because uh, in astrophysics, we have very fundamental questions that used to belong to philosophy that we can address with scientific uh, tools now. So here you are, you're studying space, and we have new telescopes, and you write all about that. But you believe that in, in 2017 we had a visit from the other side, from outer space? Um, yeah, that's not a matter of belief. We have uh, evidence for that. Uh, an object was discovered in uh, Hawaii uh, by a telescope in Hawaii, and the object uh, is the first one that came into the solar system from outside that was spotted near Earth. And uh, it looked weird, unlike anything we have seen before. It didn't look like a comet or an asteroid. And uh, I suggested in a scientific paper that it may have an artificial origin. And uh, that, uh, of course, attracted a lot of attention and interest. Now, do we have a... We don't really have a picture, but I think based on your research, you showed, considering the size and the light and the volume, so you figure that it's something different than a comet, something different than an asteroid. Right. It didn't, ha it didn't have a cometary tail, and uh, it has a very extreme geometry, a flat uh, object that uh, is much longer than it is wide. And uh, also, uh, it didn't look like um, 
there, there are any gases around it, but nevertheless, it showed an excess push away from the sun, which uh, presumably is because of reflection of sunlight. And all of these properties, and there are more that I describe in my book, are anomalous. They imply that this object is nothing like we have seen before and uh, suggest that it may be of artificial origin, just like uh, walking on the beach and seeing most of the time rocks and seashells that are naturally produced. But every now and then you might see a plastic bottle and then you know that the civilization is around. So based on, again, you just think, you based on your research, you're concluding that this was a extraterrestrial vehicle that came to explore the Earth for a period of time, for 11 days. Well, the, fund, the fundamental point is that it uh, had the properties that uh, are easier to explain if it's of artificial origin rather than a natural origin. Nature doesn't make uh, something as thin as needed uh, to explain how it moved. And uh, um, so altogether, based on what we know about this object, I said that an artificial origin is quite reasonable. Um, and uh, my book explains why I arrived at this conclusion, but also it uh, describes the response of the scientific community, which is not ready to consider that possibility. Uh, there is a lot of resistance to believing that we are not alone, and uh, moreover, uh, that uh, there might be a smarter kid on the block. Well, I mean, you're, what you're saying might be consistent because... Uh Dr. Chaim Ashed, who's a respected, he's the head of the Israel Space Program, a respected scientist, he came out recently and he said that there's been some connection, some contact between the United States, Israel, and aliens. In fact, he said there's something called the Galactic Federation, and he says there's been communication. So based on what you research, so maybe what he says has some substance. What do you say about what Dr. Chaim Ashed's research has shown, or what he said publicly? Well, uh, the matter of whether something has substance depends on whether there is any evidence uh, to support what he was saying. And unfortunately, I think his case was uh, a situation of uh, bad reporting because the reporter was supposed to ask him, okay, you make all these statements, do you have any document to support what you're saying or any other proof? And that was not asked of him. You see, anyone can say anything. But uh, the key is to, to show some evidence for what you're saying. And uh, unfortunately, if everyone, uh, you know, if reporters will m mention any, anything being said, there will be a lot of noise in the, in the media and in the news. And uh, I think, you know, if someone says that he's Napoleon, uh, you ask him for his ID and, and check if he's Napoleon. And if he insists on that, there are places where you put people that insist on being Napoleon. Uh, and so it's really important to ask for evidence, and that was not done in his case. There was just a report about what he said, and therefore I do not uh, pay particular attention to what he said. Except I asked former Israeli ambassador Danny Danone, Israeli ambassador to the uh, here in New York, and when he to the United Nations, and what he told me was he had worked for Dr. Chaim Esh. He said he's not a kook, he's not a crazy person, and he said that you know uh, he wasn't going to write him off. Yeah, I'm not writing him as a person off. I'm just saying that what he said in this context has no evidence, and therefore it's meaningless. So you're saying he has to provide the proof. You can't just say it. he has to show the money, honey, right? Yeah, and also if someone uh, was highly respected throughout his life, then uh, at some point in time he may 
do something that uh, doesn't make sense. I mean, uh, the, the, you know, people misbehave sometimes. So the whole point is, uh, you know, that if you say something, uh, you need to support it with, with uh, some clues or, or else uh, it carries no weight. So you and your research believe that this object that was here for 11 days in 2017 comes from outside the galaxies, from extraterrestrials. So do we have any ideas where it might be from, uh, what it's all about, who's in it, which planet? Do you have any right. ideas? So it came from outside the solar system. That we know for sure because it was moving too fast when it came uh, near the sun. Uh, that there is no doubt about it, and any scientist you ask will tell you that. Uh, and also the properties of this source that looked very unusual, uh, everyone would agree about them. The issue of the interpretation, whether it's artificial or not, is still being debated. But uh, with respect to where it came from, it actually was quite strange in that respect as well, because um, there is a special frame of reference, which is called the local standard of rest, which you get to when you average over the random motions of all the stars in the vicinity of the sun. And this object was at rest in that frame. It's sort of like finding a car parked in a public parking lot, not moving, so you cannot associate it with any house in the neighborhood. So this object was uh, at rest in the local standard of rest while all the stars are moving there, so it, it, we cannot relate it to any star. And the only reason that... Uh, we have we are moving relative to it is because the sun is moving relative to that frame and so it's just like a buoy sitting on the surface of the ocean and the solar system as a giant ship bumps into it and only one in 500 stars is so much at rest in that frame now i think there's more receptiveness today to believe in extraterrestrials and ufo's um, there is talk about Roswell and there's a cover-up there. Do you believe that we've had contact prior to 2017? For example, in Roswell, the United States Army, uh, where they've had, uh, where they supposedly they've had contact with aliens? Well, you see, science is not a matter of belief. That's the beauty of science. You can do uh, experiments and uh, figure out um, if, if something is real or not. Because in science, things are supposed to be reproducible. Uh, and um, my view about the UFO reports is that they were very often uh, uh, reported by eyewitnesses or by instruments that were not necessarily designed uh, to be the best that we have. And so um, what we need to do is actually deploy the best scientific instruments that we have right now in the same locations and, and do a controlled scientific experiment and see if there is anything unusual. You know, the one thing that worries me about all these reports is we currently have many more cameras looking at the sky, looking at the environment. You know, people have a lot of cell phones by orders of magnitude more than we had decades ago. And, uh, you know, you also have cameras in, uh, in cities, uh, you know, on the streets and uh, on satellites looking down and looking up. And uh, the number or the rate of uh, UFO reports didn't increase as a result of the increase in the number, number of cameras. And I'm worried about that because uh, it's quite possible that they were all uh, either optical illusions or something to do with nat natural phenomena. So what I would like to do is actually, and I spoke about this in, in a podcast with Joe Rogan, uh, I would like to do an experiment where you put uh, the best state-of-the-art uh, detectors, you know, in, in, in those locations where reports came from, 
and uh, you search for anything unusual for a while and see if you find anything. Now, the theories, and again, it may not be scientific, but they say the pyramids might have been built by aliens, and you hear things over the course of time. So, um, in other words, you think this is something new for our time, that we're having extraterrestrial life coming here to this country, to, the, to this world to explore it? Have they come before, in your opinion? Is this the first time that anything of this magnitude has come? Because uh, we're referring to uh, what you've discovered for those 11 days that came by. So is that something unusual, in your opinion? About, about the well, no, it's, it's the first time that we uh, had the instruments that were sensitive enough to detect something like that. Uh, I, you know, when you find an ant in the kitchen, you know that there are many more out there. So um, uh, I, I, I think that there should be many more of the same. It's just that uh, we didn't have a telescope as sensitive as the one that discovered this object until uh, uh, five years ago. And um, moreover, I should say that, um, you know, there is this biblical story about uh, Abraham uh, hearing the voice of God, you know, in the Old Testament, uh, telling him to uh, sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And um, uh, imagine Abraham having a cell phone with a voice memo up. Uh, if he pressed the button, he could have recorded the voice of God. And then everyone would believe the story. Unfortunately, he didn't have a cell phone. So uh, we have to either to decide whether to believe it or not. And so the moral of the story is that uh, if you want to convince everyone that your experience really happened, you better record it on scientific instruments. Or in the case of Abraham, the patriarch Abraham, they said he heard the voice of God. He was able to maybe tune into a higher frequency or a radio <laughs> wave, right? You can look at yeah. it that way, too. Well, uh, you know, my name is Abraham, so I relate to the story, <laughs> but I still rely mostly on scientific instruments. I want to pick up on that point. Our guest is from Harvard. He is Professor Avi Loeb. He's a professor of science at Harvard University, chair of Harvard Department's Department of Astronomy. His fascinating book is called Extraterrestrial, the First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. We're going to be right back. Don't go away. Stay tuned. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to Talkline with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host... Welcome back to the program. I'm Zev Brenner. Our guest is Professor Avi Loeb. He's written a fascinating book called Extraterrestrial, the First Sign of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. Uh, he's very distinguished in the sciences, originally from Israel. He was in the Israeli army. His grandparents survived the Holo or Holocaust survivors, and he himself is looking to find life beyond Earth. Let me ask you this question, uh, Professor. What role does religion play in this? Is is it a challenge to religion, in your opinion, to believe in extraterrestrial life? 
Well, that's very interesting because um, there was this story about uh, Giordano Bruno um, that uh, hundreds of years ago um, suggested that other stars may be just like the sun and they may have a planet just like the Earth around them. And um, the church decided to burn him on the stake. And uh, the argument was that uh, uh, if other stars have uh, life around them, then according to the Christian tradition, uh, that form of life, if it it had sinned, uh, has to be saved by Christ. And that requires duplicates of Christ to be visiting all these planets. And that was unacceptable, so they burned the guy. So this shows you a situation where a theology, in this case uh, the Christian uh, Catholic uh, religion, uh, had a a problem with uh, having life around another star. Now, uh, you may ask, what about the Jewish religion and and so forth? And uh, it's an interesting question. You know, it's a subject for discussion. Uh, So if we do find uh, intelligent life elsewhere, you know, the question is uh, whether we're still the chosen people, uh, the Jewish people, or perhaps uh, there are other versions on other planets. Uh, It's something to be decided. Uh, And uh, also, what is the meaning of a religious uh, experience if you have... uh, a, a different concept of God uh, on other planets, and uh, would you rather have uh, those beings uh, also religious, or would you prefer them to be secular if you meet a new culture from another planet? These are all interesting questions. Exactly. I don't know if there's any scientific answer, but I'm sure there must be a religious answer, and maybe <coughs> maybe we'll find out that they're wearing yarmulkes. Who knows? <laughs> 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 well, that's possible, yeah. By the way, I yeah. should say that the first chapter of the Bible um, talks about uh, a beginning in time, and that is consistent with the modern version of uh, cosmology, the study of the universe. It, it started at a point in time. What was there before is unclear. Now, did religion play any role in your scientific research? Did it have any impact, positive or negative, or neither? Well, um, I uh, very much uh, relate to the Jewish tradition. I mean, that's uh, the kind of uh, background that I grew up with, and I'm proud of everything uh, that I came from, uh, including, uh, you know, the, the, my childhood in Israel and uh, uh, going back also to my parents' uh, families and so forth. But um, I would not say that I'm religious in the traditional sense. Uh, I... I uh, uh, if you ask me about God, then I would uh, relate uh, more closely to uh, the God of Spinoza, that uh, is uh, associating God with nature and the laws of physics. I'm, I'm really struck uh, by the fact that the universe at large obeys the same laws that we find here on Earth, which is remarkable if you think about it, because humans are deciding about laws within society, and uh, a lot of people do not obey these laws. So, how come nature satisfies the same set of laws everywhere? Uh, on he- here on Earth, we discover them in experiments, and they apply everywhere, all the way to the edge of the universe. And to me, that is quite remarkable that the universe is so organized. And I'm at oh, I mean, I don't take it for for granted because uh, every morning when I see my daughter's uh, rooms, they, they appear to be quite uh, in chaos. But, you know, it sounds like you made the case for God, because if everything is in order, the same order as on Earth as exists in the solar system and exists in the galaxies, so that means that there is a something that guides everything, which would necessarily be God. So I think you just made the cause, the cause for religion, Professor. 
Well, it really depends how you define God. But uh, if you define it the way that Spinoza did, which is uh, you associate it with nature and, and the order in nature, then I, I would agree with you, yes. Well, there's, there's a lot more than just the order. It's also how things are conducted, and it would be interesting to see. Now, what is your next step? You found this, uh, you found this 11-day, this object which you believe is, and I'm talking about the Umuma. I hope I pronounced it correctly. Oumuma, yes. That's in Hawaiian. What does it mean? It means a scout or a messenger from far away in the Hawaiian language, simply because the telescope that discovered this object uh, is in Maui, Hawaii. Okay, so where do you go from here? Are you looking for other objects similar to this? Are you looking exactly uh, the way to uh, learn more about the nature of this object is not to chase it. We cannot really go after it now. It's too far away, and also it's much fainter. It's a million times fainter than when it was close to the sun. And so the best way to learn more about uh, about this object is uh, to assume that there is a population of such objects. It's not the only one and uh, then uh, wait for the next one to show up. And if it will be approaching us instead of receding away from us, we can potentially intercept it uh, along its orbit and take a close-up photo. And, uh, uh, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So if we can uh, take a close-up photo and resolve it, uh, we will be easily uh, convinced uh, whether it's, uh, if it's indeed artificial compared to being a rock. Now, I believe you would like to see a different place for humans to live in the galaxy? Outside yeah, Earth? I mean, currently a- all our eggs are in one basket uh, here on Earth. And uh, I- I'm always reminded of this uh, biblical story of uh, Noah's Ark, where Noah uh, was worried about the implications of the Great Flood and decided to build an ark so that uh, he can put the animals, uh, animals that he wanted to preserve in it. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, Earth itself as a whole right now is in danger uh, because there could be a big rock like the one that killed the dinosaurs that will hit the Earth. Or, um, you know, we could change the climate or eventually the sun will boil off all the oceans on Earth uh, within a billion years. So there is clearly a risk of catastrophe and we want to spread our eggs, not to have all of them in one basket. And so... Uh, uh, I have a uh, sort of more modern version of Noah's Ark. I call it the Noah's uh, spaceship, where um, you take a computer uh, and uh, feed it with all the DNA information about life on Earth and, uh, and also connect to it a 3D printer and send it to another planet so that it can produce the life that we have here out of the raw materials there. You don't need to carry a whale or an elephant or birds on the spacecraft, these are very heavy. And you, you can just put the information about the, the genetics of, of the life that we have here and try to reproduce it elsewhere. But you don't necessarily need extraterrestrial life to do so. We're talking about going to the moon, going to Mars. We've already been to the moon. We're hoping to maybe send missions to Mars or to the moon. So you don't need life there. In order to bring humans there, we just have to find if it's inhabitable, if it has water and all the other things that people need to live. So why yes, do you need to find that's another? That's another possibility. And you can, uh, in principle, construct uh, some uh, platform in space uh, that will give humans everything they need, like uh, a habitat. You know, humans uh, uh, are thought to have come from uh, Africa, and uh, 
the from the jungles they they were able to survive uh, and and live in a, an apartment building in Manhattan you know that's that's a big leap from a, jung- a jungle to Manhattan and uh I can imagine them uh, you know that took 100,000 years I can imagine that in 100,000 years we would be able to adapt uh, to live in space, uh, starting from a, a, an apartment building in Manhattan. Well, I wouldn't mind being around, but uh, <laughs> it's a long time <laughs> from now. So you're planning for, for for the way way into the future. So let let me ask you this question: So, do you believe that there is actual beings out there? Um, and I know that they've been trying, not just you, but scientists, I think, have been trying from 2015 using radio waves to try to see if there's any ex- life out there beyond our solar system. Have we found any indications aside from uh, this vehicle that came for 11 days in 2007? Do we have any other indications out there that there is some life? No, um, but uh, I should say that looking for radio signals is just like trying to speak on the phone. You need the other side, the counterpart, to be alive when you speak with them. And uh, uh, on the other hand, if you're looking for a letter in the mail, you know, if the mail delivery service is very slow, it's possible that by the time you receive the mail, uh, the person who sent it is not alive anymore. So in principle, getting a message in a bottle or some uh, relic, technological relic, finding it floating in space, allows you to go back in time even if the civilization that sent it is dead by now, it's not uh, around, it's sort of like doing archaeology, you know, find the relics of cultures that existed in the past. Even though they're not around anymore, we can learn about their existence and what they did. And we can do the same thing uh, in space, space archaeology, uh, basically looking for relics left behind. Uh, and perhaps Oumuamua was one of them. But is there radio signals in space? Because it could be that there's a communication. If there is indeed life beyond our our planet Earth, and if they're communicating with any kinds of means of communications, and you have all these sophisticated satellites and telescopes beaming to try to pick it up, wouldn't it make sense that you'd be able to pick up some kind of communication apparatus? Well, we're, we're trying. We're searching. But... Uh for that to happen, you need the other side to be alive when you're uh, looking for, for the signals. And, you know, it's possible that uh, um, the technological civilizations are short-lived uh, because they develop the means for their own destruction after a while. And so that would imply that you have a small likelihood of listening to a, a transmitting civilization. However, if you're looking for relics that they left behind, then you have a higher chance of finding them. But uh, we have been listening. We haven't uh, found anything yet. I should say that we were also transmitting radio waves for a while, for about a century. So there is a bubble of radio waves around us that goes out to 100 light years. And if there is anyone out there within that uh, volume uh, that has radio telescopes, they already know about us. So we might hear back from them. Is it possible we can pick up radio waves or waves that we sent out 50 years ago or 100 years ago? Is that possible that we'll somehow be connected to that? Is there some theory with time that's tied up into this whole thing? No, no. It's uh, simply the fact that um, uh, radio waves propagate at the speed of light. So they reach a certain distance uh, over a certain time. And so when they pass uh, a civilization that has a let's say, radio antenna, they can pick it up when it's passing through. And uh, 
since we've been transmitting for 100 years, you know, we have been uh, sending out signals for 100 years, and that fills up uh, a volume that extends out to 100 light years. Now, how do your colleagues feel about your research? I know you're respected. You've been around. You have credentials, but not everybody agrees with your conclusions. So I know you've written this book for the mainstream audiences. How do your professional colleagues look at it? Well, they're not ready yet to discuss. There is a taboo on discussing possible origin from a technological civilizations, and and that's unfortunate because I think the public is very interested, and I don't regard it as speculative because I think it's quite likely that if you arrange for similar circumstances like we have in the Earth-Sun system, that you end up with the same outcome ourselves. And so I think that uh, out of uh, modesty, we are not very special and unique. Uh, and anyone that claims that uh, we are special and unique and we have a privileged place in the universe is showing arrogance. And, uh, you and, know, and I showing our religion. Yeah. Religion says that uh, we have a place that God created the world for us and we're partners with God. So why is that arrogance? It's that we have a role to play and every person is a special person. Yeah, but uh, uh, the person that says that is the person that uh, is the privileged one. That that is the problem here because uh, you know it, it flatters your ego to think that you are special and unique. And whenever you know we we thought that, for example, that we are at the center of the universe, turned out to be wrong. Uh, the Earth is actually moving around the sun, and the sun moves around the center of the galaxy. We are not at a special place. That's not a good idea to think that we are privileged. And, you know, my daughters, when they were young, they thought that they were special and unique. And uh, once they went to the kindergarten, they realized there are many kids out there that have similar qualities, and, and they got a better perspective. So uh, it's not a good idea to think that you're special. Actually, there's a rabbinic teaching that says, Bishvili nevraho olam, that you're supposed to say, because of me, the world's created. That's supposed to be in a good sense to put you on a right track. You also have to have another card saying that nothing but dust and ashes. We're supposed to... Listen, life is about making compromise and balancing it, so that's how I view it, and that's how I guess uh, religion and Judaism. Right, but uh, you know, I I learned from I learned from my studies of of the universe that the best, uh, the most appropriate perspective for us is to be modest. You know, we're Correct. so small relative to the size of the universe. There are ten to the power twenty planets similar to the Earth, and. Um, uh, that teaches you modesty. Also, we live for such a short time relative to the age of the universe since the Big Bang. You know, all of this uh, says you should never feel arrogant as if you are powerful. You know, that's the basic uh, humility is that what, I get uh, from the sky. But humility is what we're supposed to be taught. I know that's what Judaism teaches, humility. So we can look to yes. the sky and feel humble, but I can look on the earth and feel humble too. That's the role of religion. <laughs> I understand you're, you're continuing your, uh, with another book coming out soon, correct? Uh, yeah, I have a textbook that will come out in uh, six months on the same subject, the search for life, uh, both the primitive life, the microbial life, and the intelligent, technological life. And, and that will be a textbook of a thousand pages long uh, that will come out from Harvard University Press. So that's, that's my second book uh, this year. But uh, the first book, Exoterrestrial, that is already out, is getting a lot of attention, a lot of interest. Um, and it's already bestseller number one on anything related to the sky, the space. Uh, even two weeks before it came out, it, 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 it got there. So um, I'm, um, I, I'm very hopeful that uh, it will change the 
tone of the conversation about uh, this possibility of uh, that we are not alone and that we are not the smartest kid on the block. No, listen, that's what we all have to be as humble and be, have humility. That's part of what we're supposed to be doing. Final question. So I know I touched on it before. So you don't, do you believe that there's any evidence whatsoever of any extraterrestrials having visited Earth and, and having some sort of role or interaction with human beings in the course of history? Any scientific evidence that this might have happened? Uh, no, I don't have any. Um, and uh, frankly, uh, again, out of modesty, uh, I don't uh, think that we deserve a visit. I don't think that we are special enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it it always reminds me of uh, uh, the friends of my wife when I met her. Uh, they used to think, uh, you know, sit at home and imagine some uh, uh, very attractive uh, uh, men coming to them and uh, making an, a marriage proposal, and and that would be the ideal husband for them. But you know, nothing came along, and eventually they compromised, right? So um, I think our civilization is acting this way. We always expect that someone will visit us, and we are special, and therefore we, we deserve to be visited. But it's, I don't think it's a good idea to think that we are special. Why? Said but before. you said the Umuma visit us, right? So <laughs> that's, how, that's your theory. <laughs> well, it, I, it definitely wasn't a prince. Charming on a, on a white horse, you know, that, that I can tell you. Anyway, I want to thank you for being with us. Professor Avi Loeb, his book is called Extraterrestrial, The First Signs of Intelligent Life Beyond Earth. We appreciate you being here with us. Shalom, shalom. Look forward to having you back. Shalom. Thank you very much. And we're going to be right back. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Talkline Radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline Network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.